Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi, I'm Christopher Kimball, host of Milk Street Radio. If you'd like to change the way you cook and also think about food, please check out the Milk Street podcast. We travel around the world to find pizza in Tokyo, Egyptian food in Berlin, and Bhutanese farmers in Vermont. We speak to Jamie Oliver, Rachel Ray, Al Roker, Ina Garten, as well as Michael Twitty, Marcus Samuelson, and Alice Waters. And we'll introduce you to recipes that will change the way you cook, from bright pink Tottenham cake to Afghan dumplings to shoyu sugar steak, and that one is direct from Hawaii. It's a whole new world of food right here on Milk Street Radio. Please check us out on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts, or go to 177milkstreet.com. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com. My shipmate for this voyage of the strange boat is John Popplewell. He'll be a handy crew too, because I'm sure he can catch us dinner. I know John as a top draw shore angler, whether that's all he is and how he got to that ranking is what I'm intending to find out over the duration of this piece. So sit back, think about a sea shanty or two, and we'll cast off. Hi, John, how are you doing? Hi, Keith, I'm fine, thank you. You? Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty good, mate. A bit chilly. It's not the warmest day I've ever seen in my life, but um, I'm, I'm, I'm safe and warm where I'm at the moment, and thankfully and hopefully COVID-free. Oh, well, that's the main thing. Yeah, same here. We're all COVID-free, but I'm snowed in at the moment on the Essex coast. Oh, really? Here. Yeah. We've, wow. We've had a couple of – well, not a couple of feet. We've had a foot of snow in the in the Ooh. night. So um, hopefully we can get out later on today. Yeah. Let's yeah. get the snowshoes on or skis yeah, or something. Yeah, probably. Yeah, find something. Yeah. yeah. So now a little bit about you. I mean, obviously I know you – as, as a native of sort of Claxon on Sea Essex area, are, right. are you an Essex boy through and through? No, well, I am and I'm, I'm not. I was actually born in Ireland, believe it or not. And at really? the age, yeah, and at the age of about three, three and a quarter, 
years old, we moved to England and we moved to Essex and we moved to a little sleepy um, village, Walton on the Nays. So um, that's where that's where I my that's where I learned my angling trade. I know Walton on the Nays reasonably well from my youth because. Um, my, my youth club and my street, and you know, streets did things in those days, yeah. um, would occasionally go to Walton on the Nays for a day trip. And um, although this is, this is about your fishing off Walton on the Nays Pier and other notable piers in that area, um, I, I, I went there once with my middle sister, who is about five years, four and a half years my junior, and I, I had the, the the classic solid glass seven foot very heavy spinning rod yep. and a two piece cane one piece fiberglass float fishing rod and I'd have been I expect about twelve maybe right yeah twelve thir- thirteen yeah. probably yeah and well, so I set gone yeah, well I was going to say I was about five when I started oh, fishing. Well, um, I'd, I'd been fishing for quite a while, but I wanted to go to, uh, to fish off Walton on Nays Pier because we were yeah. there for the day. And, and I caught a very, very immature eel. And my sister caught a sole, which to yeah. this day I have never caught, and a wow. bass. And I wasn't very happy. Well, I don't suppose you were, Keith. I've never taken a fishing were. since. No, never no, taken I, a fishing since. I started before. fishing when I was about five. Um, and I remember it so well. I remember it like it was yesterday, although I don't remember what happened yesterday, but this is, I'm going back to the sixties here. Um, and I remember walking around Walton Woolworths with my mum holding her hand. I was about four and three quarters probably. And I saw this mm-hmm. fishing kit because in those days, Woolworths did all the wind. Do you remember the Winfield range? I do the remember the tackle? Winfield range. I do. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember. Sitting there in the corner was this kit, and it was um, it was a, a steel fishing rod. It was a kit. It was a steel fishing rod with a reel attached, a couple of floats, some hooks, and some weights. And I said, oh, please, please, Mum, can I have that? Can I have that? And she said, oh, go on then. And she bought it for me. I remember taking it home, and I wanted to go fishing, but I couldn't go fishing because Mum didn't want to take me fishing. But I had an older sister. Now, my older sister, Patsy, she was a, a nurse in Colchester Hospital um, and mm-hmm. she could only come home at the weekends and I was waiting for the sister to come home and pleading with her oh please please can we go fishing well anyway she came home and I said well can we go fishing I've got this kit and everything she said well we need some some bait or something to put on the hook and I thought oh crikey where are we going to get some bait from and she didn't really know but mum said to us she said well there's a guy there's a cottage um around the corner because we only lived our house was there was just a roads breath between us and the sea i mean we were living that close to the sea and um the sister said i mean my mother said um well there's a guy around the corner and there's a there's a cottage there and it's there's a sign outside and it says bait for sale so we said oh well we'll go around there so i went with older sister and she was a good she was good 10 years older than me so i was five she was probably 50 no she was older than that she was a, a nurse so she would have been 18 um Anyway, we went around there, knocked at the door, and this guy opened the door. And he was a, I remember him. He was a great big guy with gray curly hair and a gray beard and a bit of a boomy voice. And I sort of stood back and looked at him. And she said, um, she said, have you got any bait, please? And he said, well, what do you want? So I said, well, we, we don't know what we want. Well, anyway, we decided that we wanted some lug. He said we wanted some lugworm. He said, well, if you come around the back um and meet me at the back gate he said you can come in and have a look in the shed and point out what you want so we went around and had a look and he had trays of these at the time i didn't really know what they were 
great big black lugworm. So anyway, yeah. <laughs> anyway, we bought a pack Hen, of hen's teeth these days. Well, exactly. Yeah. In <laughs> fact, you don't find them in Walton anymore, the black lugworm yeah. like that. But anyway, so um, a long story short, we, um, we bought a pack of lugworm and she took me down to the local boating lake where I cast this, this rod for the first time. And we, I don't know, we, we sat there for an hour or so, didn't catch much. And I decided to reel in. And as I was reeling in, this fish followed me in. I, I could see it as I was winding in. I'm only five years old, so I, I didn't even know what the fish was. But this fish followed me in and then disappeared. And I, said to, I said to Patsy, I said, look, I said, there's a fish there. We've seen a, I've seen a fish. She said, no. Then we cast, so I was learning then. So I'd cast out again. And um, we left it. And I thought, well, if I just move the bait, let's see what happens. Because there was definitely a fish followed it. So I moved the bait. And with that, the rod tip sort of bounced a couple of times. And, and I struck into it. Well, what I thought was a, a strike in those days. And we hooked a flounder. Mm-hmm. We landed this flounder. And my sister said, well, what is it? And I didn't know what it is. She didn't know what it is. She, had, By the way, she had to put the bait on the hook for me. And she yeah. had to take the fish off the hook for me and put, throw it back in the, in the sea. But later on, we discussed it, and we discussed it with other people, and they said it was a founder. So that was my introduction to fishing. <laughs> it's amazing how they love to chase a bait, don't they, Flatties? Well, even in those days, I'd learnt, you know, age five years old, I'd learnt that actually now when I'm fishing for flounders or flatfish, if I'm not getting a bite, just give it a couple of turns, reel it in a little yeah. bit, leave it, give it another couple of turns. And I've done it now even on, well, not recently on Wompier because we don't get flounders like we used to. But we used to reel in, and you'd, you'd um, see the flounders coming up into the surface following the bait. Yeah. I've, I've, I've seen that myself, and, and I've seen it with not only flounders either. I had a, a sea fish of some kind. I think it was a flatfish, rather, of some kind. It was either a turbot or a brill. I didn't get close enough to see mm. when I was fishing um, – in Portimao, in the estuary of the Rio Arad in Portimao, I was winding, fishing with um, a jig and a jelly worm. And I wound this thing, bouncing it back across the bottom. I'd have, I'd have, I've had some bass doing it, and, and even on one occasion, although it wasn't on, on a, a jelly worm, I had a spotted bass, which I was the only one. Well, I've caught three, but I've only caught three of them, and I've caught them all from the same place, out the same shoal, I expect. And as I wound in, clear water, sandy bottom, yep, yep. I saw this bit of sand following it. Yep. And as I wound the jelly worm up off the bottom with its tail vibrating, this flatty followed it. It definitely wasn't a flounder. It was the wrong shape. It was it was brill turbot shaped. So which one of those it was, I don't know, but it was one of them. And, um, and it, yeah, I, I never saw it again. Um, oh, yeah. So, so, so have, have you always been a sea angler? Um, yeah, yes, yeah. I've always been a sea angler, but I have dabbled in coarse fishing. Every now and then I go back to it. I've got a local reservoir here um, towards Colchester. It's about... It's about nine miles away from me, um, Ardley mm-hmm. Reservoir. And there's plenty of bream in there. There's pike. There's um, hybrids, roach. And I love feeder fishing. I love sitting on the old box, feeder fishing, wait for, waiting for that tip to go around. Um, yeah. But sadly, I haven't – no, this year I didn't get over there at all. Um, last year I might have got over there once. And basically because I am a sea angler and, I, you know, I'm a journalist – so I'm doing a lot yeah. of writing for sea angling magazines and my own angling column as well. Then I tend to think to myself, oh, Christ, I've got to get out today. I need to get on the beach. I need to get on the pier. I need to know what's happening um, from the columns and, and what I'm doing. So it's I slightly digressed a bit from the from – the, but I'm, I'm sure next year I shall get back to doing a bit more of it as well. 
yeah, COVID hasn't helped us getting out and socialising on, on well, reservoirs. But Ardley, I mean, I, I, I'd never fished it, but the middle mid seventies, I know that Ardley was one of the finest roach fisheries, certainly in the south of England, if not everywhere. You know, well, two pound roach were a regular feature on matches, and 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 thirty, forty, fifty pound bags of roach when they were very, yeah. very scarce indeed. I mean, nowadays fifty pound a fish, you'd think nothing of it. You know, some people complain when they only get one hundred and fifty pound on a match, um, but but in those days, you know, twenty pound a roach was a great bag, and they were commonplace hardly and, and big individual fish as well but that's that's something else and 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 that's evolved and obviously you being a journalist and having written about sea angling for such a long time specifically i guess shore angling you must yep. have noticed some massive changes the evolution of the the potential catches for sea anglers shore anglers especially Round our coast has just gone through so many different phases during well, your angling career. Yeah, yeah. In fact, probably they changed more in the last ten years than they have in all the decades that I've been fishing. But the last ten years has changed out of all proportion, Keith. Um, mm. I mean, at one time, I think well, we talked about this before in tight lines. But at one time, you could set the seasons by certain fish, and I think you could probably do that all around the coast. Um, Winter time yeah. was always your cod. You're whiting. Um, after Christmas or Christmas time, the dabs would move in. There wasn't much variation, and that's basically all you caught, which is which is great because we wanted the cod. Um, yeah. And the last 15 years, as you know, the cod have disappeared completely from the Thames, Thames estuary. We're not really seeing anything, well, anything over about a pound, pound and a quarter. And most of those, funny enough, those pound and a quarter codling have been caught off the beach Hardly a, a codling or a cod from the boats, um, but they have been replaced, and as you well know, with masses and masses of thornback rays. Thornback rays. And nature hates a vacuum, doesn't it? And, well, and, and will pr- provide something to to fill that vacuum. There's a food source there, obviously, yep. that the cod now aren't exploiting. Yep. So, so the rays have sort of taken their place, and and that's really interesting. And what you say about you could almost set the calendar by the fish arriving. You, you could almost watch them from sort of the, the West Kent coast and possibly even right, further west than that. Mm. Yeah, you could watch it follow them around. So, so like the middle of August, the whiting would turn, or early August, the whiting would turn up and then they gradually go around through Kent and then across the estuary and then up the Essex coast and by about sort of September time, they were prolific off Albra and then just behind them would come the cod, possibly eating the whiting they well, were probably chasing the whiting yeah um here was a walton clacton frinton area you could reckon the first of september or actually no the bank holiday the bank holiday weekend in august which is the august bank holiday 31st whatever it is that would be when the first whiting would arrive and within a, a week of the whiting arriving the codling would be there with them and some of the codling i mean we were catching fish at 10 they weren't codling they were cod 10 to 12 God, pounds. Yeah. Um, and then by the time you got to October time, those cod had got to maybe 20 pounds. Um, I've even seen 25 pounders from the pier um, years gone by. Um, but as I say, it's all changed now. We've got thornback rays, which is just as well, because if we didn't have the rays there, we'd be catching rockling all winter. Um, yeah, and yeah. So, some of the ray catches are astronaut. They're, they're absolutely amazing. Um, we had guys last week fishing on the Holland Clacton beaches during the daytime, they were catching eight, nine rays apiece um, oh on, a, on a single on a single tide up to about ten pounds. You know, and we always That's thought 
we always oh. thought that when the rays, the rays always arrived in April, and I always said to everyone, well, as soon as that water warms up a bit, um, those rays will be there. Well, the rays don't give a damn about warm water. They don't care. <laughs> it can be freezing cold, and they are, they'll be there today. It's two foot of snow outside. I bet you if you went on the beach, you'd catch stormback rays. Do you know, I, I remember, it's not that long ago, uh, I don't think anyway, because memory is sort of concertina a bit when you get to my age, but I remember you setting your stall out, and I don't know if it was on social media or in the magazine, mm. you set your stall out to catch a ray from <laughs> your local pier or your local beaches yep. every month of the year. Yeah, it was. It was. Um, I set my stall out. It didn't, it didn't have to be the pier. It could be the beaches of the pier, but within sort of a five-mile radius of Walton, Clacton area. Um, yeah. And I'd had a ray every single month up until February, and it was um, the last week in February. And I'd only had I'd only had a ch- I only had a chance to go out that once in February, and I had to catch a ray, otherwise it would all it all gone to pieces. And I remember going to where did I go? Went to St Osyth Beach, um, and just fished over the top at St Osyth Beach. You can travel up to the bird sanctuary, but there's still there's plenty of rays where you park your car. And it was a pretty cold, damn day. And I thought, well, if I don't if I don't catch a ray today, then that's my my twelve month ray catch gone. So anyway, it must I fished the whole tide without a ray. I think I'd had a couple of pouting and maybe a rockling or something silly. And on the last cast, I said, well, this is the last cast. I've blown it. And I was fishing two rods, and I packed one rod up, putting it away. And I looked round, and I could see that rod the rod I was fishing with just bobbling in the in the tripod, the tip. I thought, oh, I'll see what happens there. Left it, left it, left it. And all of a sudden, that rod just went over. I thought, yes, I've got myself a ray. And I just managed it on the last cast, on the last session in the February. So I had 12 rays. Well, I had more than 12 rays, but in that, in the, in the year. But on that day, I've got my 12th ray of the, of the 12 months. That's amazing. And, and you, you mentioning St. Osith there, that, that put the word stingray. And I'm not talking about the LTV yeah. program. Put stingrays into it because St. Osith, St. Osith Beach is a really famous beach for stingers. Are they still around? Not this time yeah, of the year. I mean, are they still in the summer? When, I think it's July is the best month for them, isn't it? Are, are, do you still get them then? Yeah, yeah. Well, um, well, let me let's think about this. The best, the best month is May. Um, is it? You, you might. They probably they start coming in about April, end of April. Um, there's always been the odd one caught when it's still been a bit cold and you'll get a report, oh, somebody had a stingray off of Ozard Beach. Oh, wow. But then it goes two or three weeks and then you get sort of a, a build-up of them around the middle of May and then they start to dwindle a bit. They might come back one or two. Um, but you will see them all the way through May and June. Um, July is just pushing it a bit, but May and June are the main months for them. And, I mean, some of the stingrays are absolutely massive. 70, 80 pounds they've been last year. That's so, huge. That, yeah. You know, we, we think of stingrays as being an exotic species. You don't think of them, you know, having to, to wear shoes when you go paddling in case you get stung. What, what's what's the, the particular feature about that beach? You think they, do they come in to feed? Do they come in to spawn? What, what is it about St. Osa's Beach? They, I think they come in to spawn, um, basically, because some of the females, when they're caught, um, they're actually giving birth. Um, to, to baby stingrays, so obviously they're just coming in to breed, and, and then they're moving moving out again. But they will they will stay for a, a couple a couple of months. Um, 
But yeah, it's a place to go. But the thing now with social media is you only need for one angler to catch a stingray. It's an Ozif. And <laughs> you know what I'm going to say, don't you? The, the you can't beach, move for better lights. You, you, you just can't move along the beach. So that's when I yeah. just move somewhere else. I mean, I've got other areas I can go and catch as many stingrays um, in peace and quiet. So, I mean, at one time, uh, Snows of Beach for me with stingrays, that was the, the main place I went because no one else, only a few friends of mine went there. But now the whole world goes there in, in, the, in the summer. Um, and it's, yeah. so, it's so busy that I've, I found other places and I can catch just as many stingrays. Um, I had a session last, wasn't last, the year before last, um, from another area further up the river, but it's very, very quiet up there. And we had five stingrays on one tide, um, which is, I mean, to get one stingray from St. Osage Beach for most people, most anglers is, is you know, is something to, to really, you know, think it's really good. Um but we, we had five and one tide. Um, sometimes you can go a whole season without catching. It's a bit like carp fishing, um, Keith. You know, you can go down there and you can sit there for a whole weekend, days and nights, and not get a bite, and you think there's no nothing there. But you just got to keep going. You just keep going, putting in the time, and in the end, you will catch. Yeah. But it just takes the time. Is it, is it? I've never been to St. O's, this as far as I know. Is it just a, a, a flat, sandy beach? Is it deeper water or it, it, shallow for a long way up? It's, it's shallow. It's shallow all the way along. Um, and St. O's beach stretches for about – there's two two areas. You've got the area um, when you you can actually drive down. There's a small car park, and you can just nip over the top, um, and there's some rocky groins there. You can fish in between them. But in the summertime, there's a caravan site there, so – Obviously, that's going to get busy with people on the beach, people swimming, and you know it, it's. Um, so what we normally do, we we park in that car park, then we walk to the right, um, and it's a bit like a moonscape on the beach. So it's really hard going, and you've got about half an hour's walk to get to the stingray area. Um, but you know, as one gets older, um, and I did struggle last year walking up there a couple of times. I thought, crocky, this is a long way. Do I really need to be doing this anymore? So I haven't actually been up there for for a couple of years up to the uh, actual stingray venue. I found other areas that are closer and easier to fish. But um, there's still lots of lots of guys go up there, and they do well. I mean, there was, there was definitely one of 80 pounds caught last year, which was um, in the Sea Angler magazine. Um, there was That's a couple... There was a couple of 60s. Um, I've had I've had one over 70 from St. Osith, and I've had one even bigger from Walton Pier. Um, and that was when I was about, oh, I must have been about 15. I remember it so well, fishing on the end of the pier with a friend of mine, and we caught I caught this stingray, and we managed to get it to the surface, and we had a net, but it was one of these old plastic hoop nets. Yeah. Well, we <laughs> and it, we we managed we managed to get it into this plastic hoop net, and my friend, like a slight built guy, he couldn't he couldn't lift it. So between us both, I put the rod down. I said, "Well, come on, we've got it in the net. You grab hold of the rope. I'll grab hold of the rope, and we'll see if we can walk back with it and pull it over the side." Well, we did, but the plastic hoop net had snapped. The hoop had snapped either side, so it <sighs> folded up on it, bit like a carp weighing sack thing. Yeah. Anyway, we managed to get it over the side, and we looked at this thing, and I said to my mate, I said, crikey, that's a, that's a big stingray. It didn't have any scales, but in those days, age 15, we put, it, we put this poor old stingray on my um, fishing trolley, 
and we carted it down the end of the pier and at the end of the pier at the bottom the bottom of the pier they had those do you remember those weighing scales you could put a penny in and you weighed yourself yeah down. big old silver things with big red scales so we put when i got on they used to say one at a time please one at a time yeah well <laughs> i don't think they did keep uh, well, anyway <laughs> we put this stingray on there and the wings were laying either side of the scales and still laying on the floor that's how big it was with its tail hanging down so anyway we weighed it it weighed four and three quarter stone and i don't know what that is in pounds so you'll have to work that one out for me with its 64, wing, 64 65 pounds 65 pounds with its wings laying either side on the ground and its tail at the end hanging on the ground as well so yeah. um this poor old thing and it was still alive so we put it back on the trolley and rather than take it up the pier because we we're at the bottom of the pier now we went round down the pier slope and put it back in the sea and watched it swim away but um they're, they're quite hardy creatures aren't they they're, they're, they're not quite, uh, they're quite hardy but that that's what memories are made of that's something that it's stuck with me all this time you know and i can still see it as though it was yesterday this this old that's an incredible story that is an incredible story and I, i've i've caught a few stingrays off the shore not in this country i've, I've caught them in florida and um I have, I have got. Would you like to hear my stingray story? It's I would only love about, to, about four or five years ago. So I was fishing off the the fishing pier at um, Coral Bay Resort in Isla Morada, which is a, a little stone jetty that sticks out that separates the dock from mm. the saltwater swimming pool, the boat dock from the saltwater swimming pool. So um, I, I was chumming with bits of mullet and watching these fish come into an area that wasn't the out of the weed there was a little bit of sand where i could see the fish come over it and you could see sharks come in um, and and stingrays and i saw this stingray sort of two stingray mooching along so i put a couple of chunks of mullet out got my rod put a chunk of mullet on the hook no weights or anything just because i don't know eight nine feet deep and crystal clear water Mm. drop this um this this bit of um mullet into the hole and I watched the stingray swimming about, and I watched it swim over where I thought my bait was, and the rod tip just nodded. Oh, no, it's the wrong. This is a different stingray. Anyway, mm-hmm. I got, I got that one, um, and and my wife got one as well on a bit of shrimp fishing for snappers. She said, "Oh, what's happening to my rod?" And there was lime peeling off the reel. But the best stingray story was a day when it was the water was murky and I couldn't see, so I was ledgering. I had a, a sort of an ounce egg sinker on, and I was chucking that out this thing on, and, and the rod tip went over. And I was struck, and this fish ran parallel to the the um, swimming pool area, so away from me, mm. turned right as if it was going into the next dock. And I've got maximum pressure, and I've got 30-pound braid and a 20-pound uh, fluorocarbon leader. Blimey. And suddenly it all goes solid. So there was a woman there with her friend. She, the woman was getting married, and her friend was there to be her bridesmaid, English couple. English, well, no, well, a couple. The, the, the bloke was getting drunk back up in the, uh, in the accommodation. <laughs> so I said to her, I've got, I've got to do something here. I said, can you hold my rod for me? So she held the rod. I opened the bail arm, ran around. I only had swimming shorts and a T-shirt on. Ran around to where this, um, the end of the dock was. And I could see the line going around a piling. So I took the T-shirt off. Um, got down these slippery stairs, eventually fell into the sea. And what I found, I di- dived under, and the braid had actually gone round one of these mooring posts, and the fish was going back on itself. So I wrapped my legs around the mooring post, started pulling, nothing happened. So I kept, I kept the, the braid in my hand, 
she had the bow line open, so there was mm. line coming off. Went back up these slippery steps, across to the other side, across the bridge, around the dock, back to where she was originally, started pulling, and it wouldn't come out. So oh, there's nothing God. else for it. I've got, to, I've got to go in for it. So I went in again, managed to free it, started pulling it towards you, climbed back out of the water again, grazed me knee on some coral, all blood pouring everywhere, but lots of sharks around. So oh, I got lovely. out. I kept pulling, pulling. I'm thinking I've got a grouper because there's plenty of grouper there, as I think I've got a black grouper. So I keep pulling it, came up, and it was this damn stingray. Um, but it was. A lo- I've got some lovely pictures of me holding it, um, oh, right. holding it up when she took the pictures of me. It was, I don't know, 15, 16 pound maybe. But boy, oh boy, what a battle. And, and I don't think I've ever gone in that far for another fish. I've been in the water to get fish out. Of, I've been in after a barbel on the royalty, but it's the only time I've ever been in and had to dive under the water to release the line so I could land a fish. I wish it had been a black grouper. I'd have put that back, although they're very edible. Um, I would have put it back too, but to see it was a stingray was, was good. And you see quite a few of them and big leopard rays as well and all That's sorts right, of others. Do. Weird yeah, fish. Yeah. So anyway, so so um, you've had – I didn't realise that there were that many stingers about still because, what? you know, the, the, go on. Well, there, there is. I mean, I mean, it varies from year to year. Some years aren't so, aren't so good, but the last few years have been pretty damn good. We went through the um, – let's think about this – the seventies was very good for stingrays. The early mid, the uh, early to mid eighties, there was two or three years there when when not much happened at all, and there wasn't really much showing. But certainly the nineties, two thousands, they've come on strong again. Whether it's the water temperatures or or what, I don't know. But there seems to be plen- plenty there. So um, maybe also, a good year for recruitment. It's difficult to say, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we always used to, and I still do. I always reckon the best bait for stingrays is ragworm. Um, yeah. But, but ra- ragworm can be difficult uh, fishing ragworm and on St. Joseph Beach, simply because of the amount of flipping the crab life there. They just rob the hooks within seconds. Um, mm. So some, I mean, guys have been using squid for stingrays, and I've always said years ago, I said, well, you're never going to catch a stingray on squid. Well, funny enough, they are. I haven't caught one myself on squid, but I would have said a good 40% of the stingrays caught last year were caught on squid. Um, so it just goes to show, doesn't it? And I think there was one caught on a, on a bluey bait as well. Um, do, do you think, though, I mean, sometimes this, this is a case of um, necessity, isn't it? If everybody's using squid and a stingray comes in, it's hungry, it's going to yeah, eat squid. If, if ragworm's known as the best bait, everybody's using ragworm, everybody catches them on ragworm. Yeah, yeah, um, prob- probably. Um, I'm going to try it this year. I'll try squid um, simply for the fact it's so easy just to go to the freezer and take out a box of squid and go fishing with it rather than trying to access some ragworm from somewhere and then keep it. Um, so, um, you know, I'll try, I'll, try, I'll try anything. There's two things have clicked in my mind mm. while we've been talking. One is... I didn't realise that stingrays gave live birth. I didn't realise they were evaporous. I thought they were like some of the sharks and other rays and no, the live birth. produced a mermaid's purse. I didn't. I didn't realise they they were live live bearers, which is uh, another tick in the box. Something I've learnt. And the other thing, you've reminded me about king ragworm. Mm. And I remember I was an avid reader when I was a kid of the Guinness Book of Records. Mm. And I remember that the biggest ragworm was dug either from. It was either from a Thames Estuary beach or something is – Harridge is clicking into my mind. It could so, well be. 
it was somewhere where the, it was it was something thirty nine inches long or something ridiculous, yeah. Yeah. but a massive king ragworm. And I thought, blimey, O'Reilly, that chop up into a few baits or one stingray bait. Well, yeah, one stingray bait. When I mean, we used to, um, we've got two local areas around here that we can we can access or dig ragworm. One is Rabness. Have you heard of Rabness on the river? No, store? I haven't. No, um, no, I haven't. They're only the, the small the smaller ragworm, but they're like the ideal hook baits. And the other place is Mersey Island, um, the other side of Colchester. But the, the ragworm there, the tide goes out miles, and the ragworm are massive. And to actually dig one of these ragworm, you end up with half a ragworm. They're so big, you only end up with half a ragworm because you can't get to the whole thing. They're very As soon as you, you've, you've dug your, your spit and you look in and you can see a tail sticking up of a ragworm, by the time you've dug down, I mean, those, the ragworm are so quick. By the time you've dug down, it's disappeared again. So you keep digging and digging and digging and digging and then pulling and pulling. You usually end up with only half a ragworm. <laughs> well, but um, now that, that's something else you've just clicked in my mind. I remember when I used to run a tackle shop, we used to get ragworm. By then, some of it was imported from Ireland, and they just started breeding here, I think. Right. And it was delivered in vermiculite. So you got it in this this sort of mm. flaky polystyrene-looking stuff. And... In the, I, I always learned. I, I used to keep tubs of seawater in the fridge, and and those and and not the, the lug ragworms much, but the lugworm used to have just a smear of seawater to keep them alive. And, and and one of my pals used to bring me up a a, a, um, a container of salt water every every second day, and I found that I had to plunge my hands in cold seawater before mm. I picked the ragworm up because yep, my yep. hands were warm. Yeah, they broke split. themselves in half. Split. Yeah, they do that. Yeah. They also do, also do that in thunderstorms as well, Keith. Did you know that? Do they? Yeah. No, I didn't. If, if the if the pressure's wrong and there's a there's a thunderstorm around, then ragworm have been known just to split into bits and pieces. And you know you've really got to keep them keep them in the fridge and keep them on newspaper. But even then, they tend, still tend to split. But um, well, yeah, yeah. So we know you're a shore angler. Do you, do you ever get afloat? Do you enjoy boat fishing? No, no, Keith. We, we talked about this before. Do you remember I went to the Canaries um, and I was offered um, a place on a boat and we were fishing for whatever they catch out there, trolling for them, um, tuna or Ooh, something or other. And I thought, tuna, sail, Yeah, we had all the gear and everything. And I said, oh, yes, I'll come out there. I said, well, I'll get you a feature for whatever magazine I was writing for. And I, I, I always knew that I was a bit, little bit sort of tend to be seasick. Um, anyway, I thought, well, I w- I'm always all right when the boat's moving. When it's moving along, I'm fine. But stationary, when the anchor goes over, that's when it all starts to go wrong for me. But I thought, well, we're going to be moving up and down all day. I'll be fine. Um, and I was, actually. I was all right for an hour or so without any fish at all. And then all of a sudden, I, you know, I could just feel it happening. I could feel it in the stomach. And I thought, oh, crikey, here we go. And within about half an hour of that, and then I was just lying on the in the, in the boat. I was hanging over the side. Um, and I'd done all the precautions. I'd got taken the um, sea sickness tablets. I'd got the pressure, but the things on my wrist. Um, and it's still doing well. Now, that was probably, how many years ago was that? That would be about eight years ago now. And I haven't been in a boat since. Because when I'm seasick, when I get back on shore, I still feel ill for two, three days after. That's how bad it gets. Oh, how horrible. Oh, it's awful. It, oh, ruined, the ho- is- it ruined the holiday. We only had a week in the Canaries. Mm-hmm. And for, for two two days after coming off the boat, I felt like absolute, I felt really awful. Um, so I said I said to Angie, I said, oh, that's it now. I said, I'm not, that's that's my last time on a boat. 
I get offers from the from the local charter boats because I do all the all the reports for them and I put them in my angling column. And I say, well, you must come out, you must come out. And I still get offers, and I'd, I'd love to go out. But I say, look, I'm sorry, I just can't do it. You know, I can't afford. It. Oh, if we go out on a calm day, Keith, I could be calm on a lot. I, I could be sick on a lilo. I could really be <laughs> ill. So you know, I, I don't I don't do it anymore. Don't listen to Angie and buy a waterbed. <laughs> I'll be, I'll be, I'll be sick on that as well. I reckon. Exactly. Yeah. I, I, I was, I was no, I'm no good on um, rides on on amusements. Um, not that I would no. go on them now, but even going round in circles or even being on a swing makes me feel ill. You know, I'm I'm very terra firma, me. Best place for you, mate, on the beach. The, yeah, the other, the, beach. the other fish, the yeah, the other fish I forgot to mention. And when when we were talking about thornbacks mm. being the new pop, thornbacks being the new cod. I think I remember, was it last year or 2019, you were having a really good year for bass. Oh, yeah, that's, that's something else. Um, and I was having a good year for bass, but I wasn't aiming at catching bass. Now, Walton Pier, I'm going back years ago again now, there used to be a run of conger eels that came through. Believe it or not, on the Essex coast, we had a run of conger. They were only strapped congers, and they'd come through about October time, September, October time. And a big fish would be seven pounds, but all good sport. So anyway, the last three years on Walton Pier, the conger eels have started to move back in again. Um, only small ones, um, but there has been a couple of half-decent ones lost because no one's really fishing for them. So when you hook one, you're either it's going to be a small one, and if it's a big one, you're going to lose it because you're not fishing for them. So there's been a – I know of a couple of half-decent ones have been lost, but there was three or four around the 10-pound mark caught this summer so anyway i thought to myself oh do you know what i'm I've, i remember catching a conger eel in the 19 late 70s off the pier and that was only small one it was about four pounds i haven't caught one since apart from when i've been fishing in wales so i thought i'm going to target conger eels off walton pier i'm going to fish up there i'm going to sun, sunday night was my night and i used to go up there or still do, i will do when the weather gets better again sunday night i'd go on the pier and I'd put on a whole bluey, a whole mackerel, um, seven O hooks um, with a wire trace or either 80-pound mono and just drop it down the side of the pier or cast it under and leave it as a sleeper rod and then fish with another rod just to keep me happy, just to keep me busy fishing for bass or skate or smooth hands, whatever's out there. So anyway, um, with this rod that I was fishing down the side for the conger eels, the first time I tried it, I hadn't had a bite for two or three hours, just left it there with a whole mackerel. I happened to look across, put my headlight, and I could see the rod nodding. I thought, oh, there's something taking that. So I let the line, I put the ratchet on and I let some line go on it out a bit, and it took the line and kept going, and I thought, oh, blimey, this actually could be a conga. And anyway, I left it. I'd heard that you have to leave them and leave them until they really take the bait. Well, it kept fiddling and fiddling and fiddling for 20 minutes. And I thought, oh, Christ, I can't keep on with this. So I put it in the gear <laughs> and I struck it. The, the rod buckled over. Middle of the night, I'm on the pier on my own. I thought, oh, I've got myself a conga. Anyway, when it came to the surface, I've never been so unhappy to see a bass. <laughs> this bass was about eight pounds. I mean, fancy, <gasps> being fancy being unhappy to see a bass. I thought, oh, flipping it. It's a bass. So anyway, I landed it. And I thought, oh, well, blimey, we do catch big bass on on whole mackerel from the pier. I know down in when you fish sort of Dover, Breakwater and things, that's how they fish for them. But we've never fished for a, a big bass on on the pier with, with whole fish baits. 
So well, anyway, outing as well is a good bait down at, on, on the, the South Coast marinas and, well, and beers. Yeah. So yeah. anyway, I put that one back, took some photographs as you do because it's a nice fish. And I thought, well, we'll get a conger eel. And lo and behold, within about an hour, I had another one of about seven and a half pounds bass. So um, anyway, that went on. I mean, I'd fished all summer um, and done the same thing. Sometimes I'd fish all night and I wouldn't get a bite on that rod, but I'd always had bites on the rod, the other rod that I was, you know, keeping me happy for the evening and for the night. Um, and then one particular night, I hooked this fish, and it must have been a conger eel, right on the top of the pier, and I'd cast under the pier in between the pier piles, where the pier piles are all covered in barnacles, and you take your you take a chance and you take a risk when you're fishing like that. I was using 60-pound braid all the way through um, and then attached to 80-pound um, wire trace. Anyway, this thing led me a merry dance round the pier piles. I, I never saw it, but I had it on for about 10 minutes and it buckled the rod right over the pier. Bang, 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 bang. And in the end, it took me round a, a, a pier pile. I tried to get it back, kept pulling, and I could hear I could hear the braid grating on the barnacles, and I thought, "Oh, we're going to lose this." Horrible, horrible sound. We're going to lose sound. this, and all of it, all of a sudden, it had gone. Well, I've had another since then. I've had another one, the same as that. So I know they're there, but it's just a case of getting them out from underneath. Um, but one day I'll do it. But I, I don't know when. <laughs> and it's good fun. Another, it's great fun. Another early sea fishing experience for me when when I was um, probably in my from. 11, 12, up to about 14, 15, my family holidays were spent at Exmouth in Devon. And they've got a little tiny pier around there in a harbour, and I've caught mm. ragworm out the harbour on a, on a, a telescopic roach pole mm. and um, peeler crab, little bits of peeler crab, peeler crab legs. I've caught little bass off the beach on bunches of peeler crab legs and drilled bullet rolling it along the tide. But there was, there was a guy who used to fish for conger off Exmouth Pier, and I'll tell you his rig. He had... I suppose it would be cutty hunk line, string, basically. He had string, then he had a piece of nylon tied to the end of the string on which he put a house brick. (laughs) And, and, well, no, hang on. Don't forget, it was on a piece of nylon. It was actually a rotten bottom. That was to hold the bait still. Mm. And then he had a a very strong – I remember it being a very thick nylon trace, but it quite possibly could have been wire – a big hook, and he used to put two mackerel on it. Right. And he'd blow it down the side of the pier, and then he'd get a piece of wood, like a matchstick or a cocktail stick, jam that into the one of the crevices in the wooden piling of the pier, and wrap his line around it. And that was his bite indicator, or a lolly stick, anything like oh, that. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he'd sit there, and when the lolly stick snapped, or the matchstick snapped, he knew he had a concrete on and then Oh, he'd have a tug of war. And um, obviously by hand, you can really put some pressure on. And he had big leather gauntlets on. And, and these congas have come to the surface thrashing like a big sea monster. And, wow. you know, they were probably 14 or 15 pounds, may have been a little bit bigger. But when you're, you know, when, when you've not seen an eel anything like that size before, to see That's one big. off a pier 10 mm. foot below, it, it, it's, it's something to behold. Yeah. And yeah, I used to, he was a proper old sea dog. And my, great-grandfather who on, on my mother's side who I never met he was um, a security officer during the war in Plymouth in Devonport dockyard my, my family come from Plymouth my mum's family come from Plymouth and he actually had um, a submarine stolen on his watch 
or it sank on his watch mm. when he was away on the other side of the dock fishing for congas. So, yeah, con- congas seem to run in the family. And uh, <laughs> Although I've never... I've got to say, I've never set my stall out to catch one except for one day. I had a day out with uh, Paul Dyer on the Brighton Diver. We went down to film for tight lines and we caught a whole host of conga fishing yeah. up tide of this wreck and, and dropping baits down to the wreck and having proper tug of wars with them. And, and although we had some, I think the biggest one we had was, oh no, twice I've done it now. I've, I've fished for conga. The biggest one we had, we had quite a big one that day. I think the biggest one we had was 60, 60 something pounds. But Nigel Botherway caught one that was 40 pounds odd and it was absolutely jet black its eyes the only pigment was black was that it it, it was just living living somewhere you know sort of completely covered by by uh, the wreck and it never came out or what was the reason for it being black paul said paul dyer said he he see he's seen them before and it is just it's it's just a pigment variation but i've got a photo of it and it's a really menacing looking thing. You know, it's bad enough when they've got that sort of goatee eye looking at you, but when it's got, it's completely black, completely black from, from, well, head to tail, because that's really all they are. They're only a head and a tail. <laughs> so, so it was all black. Yeah. yeah that, that, amazing, was a, that was a, a spooky, yeah. an, another conga story. But yeah. back to the bass. Do mm. people catch bass of that size fishing for them, or are they only accidental catches on the big bait, or have people now decided to fish big baits to try and catch big bass? Well, since since I've been fishing that way, mm. people have seen me doing it. There's loads of people now, anglers, going up the pier and fishing on the beaches and just fishing big baits and just waiting for that one fish rather than wading mm. through a, a lot of small schoolie bass um, and yeah. hoping for something bigger. Um, it does work. It works during the daytime as well as the nighttime. But um, going back to that, the Orkonga story, um, Walton Pier, we'll go back to Walton Pier again. The reason I know there's big conga eels underneath here, in the, when we get a real cold snap, and we haven't had a, oh, we've got a cold snap at the moment, it's not cold, cold. But when we had that last, the beast from the east and other cold snaps, because Walton Pier and the water around is fairly shallow, um, we get conga eels washed up, dead or yeah. semi-comatosed, that have been affected by the cold weather. Now, some of these conger eels we've found, and they're within a radius of the pier, so we know they're living under the pier. Um, the biggest one weighed 105 pounds. <gasps> God, I thought you were going to say 45 pounds or no, something. No, like 105 that. pounds. Um, On the East Coast. Uh, yeah, so they're living, and I'm, I'm talking within, let's say, 300 yards either side of the pier. They'll get washed up. Um, yeah. So we know, and that, and the wall and the pier is the only structure at, that goes out to sea anywhere around there. So obviously, those fish, those conger eels, are living under the pier. Um, and if I'd hooked, if that, if that was one of the ones I'd hooked, a hundred pound fish, I was never going to land it from underneath. No. The Not you needed to be hell. very, very lucky. Yeah, and needed a drop net, drop net like a windsock at Heathrow well, Airport. I'd never get it. I'd never get it up. I'd never, you know. <laughs> yeah. But uh, anyway, it was just, you know, something I tell you. (laughs) That that is an intriguing story. That really is because, you know, they do grow big and they're they're obviously predators and and mega scavengers as well. But that's an an astronomical size. And and you you mentioned about that in the very cold weather. I'm I'm old enough to remember the winter of 63 Mm. when it was properly cold for a very very long time i think there was snow on the ground in london for something like 26 days and the temperature didn't rise above freezing in that time and 
thousands of conger around the country and wrasse were yeah. another fish that suffered dramatically during that weather. And, and, and when the congers came back, that was when after that, the 70s, was when all those huge conger eels were being caught because obviously there'd been a real shortage yeah. of congers with the amount that died. Yeah. Um, those that survived and those that recovered had a huge larder to go. Oh, the conger grub hadn't been eaten. And, and ditto with wrasse. I mean, a three or four pound wrasse going back to the, the early 60s pre-early 60s was a really big fish and now you know you read about seven and eight pounders being caught quite you regularly do, do you get any rats up the east coast yeah we get rat we get balance and we get um cork wings but we, okay. they're not they're not very big um no. if you if you caught a ballon over a pound a cork wing of eight ounces um that would be a, a good fish but they're good sport and we catch loads of them you know for a summer's yeah. summer's day nothing else to do take a light spinning rod on the on our uh, walton pier clacton pier they're even catching them off the beaches now um you can get catch them one after another um well, but they're not, they're not big sorry for a bit of rock do you look for a bit of rock or something like that well on the beach not necessarily yeah, they're, they're, they've been caught from the open beaches um but on on the on the pier you just just drop it down the side with a bit of ragworm lugworm even a little bit of squid um and they take that so uh, and it's it's always good fun in the summer isn't it you, you never quite know what you're going to oh, catch do you? Do, do you think that, that again fish like that appearing are a result of there being maybe no cod and in, in years gone by the cod would have been eating those they would have been yeah. they'd have been, there's a few there obviously but but the cod maybe i mean some somebody said to me one of the reasons why they, they i mean flout the pot bait catchers are accused of removing the flounder. But I know several people have said to me, the reason why there are so few flounder now is that there are so many bass. And the bass are eating the small flounder. And there's also so many seals as well, um, Keith. Oh, Thames Estuary. I've got them here. I, I live, I mean, I can't see the river from here quite, but I can see the trees alongside the river. It's only 300 yards from my house. Yeah, and and we, we regularly get seals up here. I mean, something like ten thousand sightings yep. over the last ten. So, I mean, they go back a long time. I remember, I remember in the seventies having the odd seal come up the river, but there were five in the river at once. And and you know we we seem to be missing quite a lot of five pound plus bream as well. Uh, and barbel have gone missing. Yeah, they'll go down. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. No, it's the same same here. I can't go fishing on the open beaches without seeing a seal or two. And if you go around into the estuary, around into the backwaters, um, it's teeming with them. I mean, we used to fish around there for flounders in, in the backwaters um, down towards Walton. Um, there's nothing there at all now. There's no flounders there at all. Um, not even a bite. I went a couple of weeks ago, had to go for flounders, didn't even get a bite. But I did see uh, eight or nine seals. So I wonder uh, what they're eating then, because if, if, if they've eaten all the flounders, they must be finding something else to eat. Well, shellfish. I haven't got a clue. I don't know. No, I don't. I don't um, know. Either. There's a lot of schoolies. There's a lot of schoolies still there, Keith. Yeah. For, for winter time, um, they're still catching plenty of schoolies off the beaches and in the back oh, right. Yeah, um, and souls as would well. That happened, would, would that have happened twenty years ago? Would you have had a lot of bass there twenty years ago? No, you wouldn't get them in the winter. You'd um, you'd have, you'd have to wait until um, the end of April before you saw a bass. But I'm getting reports in of guys fishing um, down towards Canvey Island way. Um, they're getting eight or nine schoolies off the beach. What in, in February? What you're having a laugh on you? No, we, we caught them. So um, I know you're just catching by the hot water at Bradwell. 
They used to catch bass there quite regularly. Yeah, they, they, they did at yeah. Sizewell as well, the Sizewell power station. If you cast far enough, which is about a 130-yard cast, um, you can catch bass there all year round. Um, and, and smooth hounds are another one. I, I remember smooth hounds, first reading about smooth hounds, probably in the, may have been the late 70s or 80s, yeah. when they, the the story was on those East Coast, East Coast beaches, sort of Bradwell area, um, that they ran so fast when you hooked them that people fishing from them used to wear tennis shoes or trainers so they could keep <laughs> up with them running on. Yeah, yeah. That, 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 and of course, tackle has, has come on a bit. The quality of, of drags in particular on fixed spool reels yeah. has come on a whole lot since those days. So maybe they, they don't need to be, um, they don't need to be, uh, um, Usain Bolt anymore. They, they, they just have to be Jeff Capes and be able to pull them in rather than have to chase after them. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Well, I had my, um, my best summer for smooth hounds this year just gone. Um, and I thought, you know, we, we haven't really seen any smooth hounds off the beaches of piers since the, the late seventies for some reason. They still get, they got loads from the boats around here, but the beaches and piers were just completely void of smooth hounds. Um, and this summer after our first lockdown, what was that? That would be, we came out of lockdown in June, was it? July, end yeah. of June. Um, I thought, well, I'll have a go for the smooth hands, and I went back up onto the local pier again. Only one on the top we of can, it. Only one on the top of it. Sorry, Keith? I was, I was just going to say, we could go fishing again from May the 23rd. The date is etched in my memory. Oh, it was May the 23rd, was it? That's, that's when we were allowed to go fishing again, yeah. Okay, well, if it was May the 23rd, then I was fishing on May the 24th. <laughs> um, anyway, <laughs> I'd, um, I'd got some peeler crabs, and I'd got some squid. And I thought, crockies, I'm going to get up that pier again. I haven't been up for so long and fish the top of the pier. Well, I hadn't had any decent smooth hands. I'd caught smooth hands. I'd been up on the Lincolnshire coast previous years and caught them there, but not from my area. Anyway, this particular day, another Sunday, uh, fishing in the afternoon, um, cast out, peeler crab on one, squid on the other rod, and within three minutes, the peeler crab rod, the tip had gone over completely, come back slack, and I hit into it. There's a smooth hand of about 10 pounds. And I thought, crikey, I've actually caught a half-decent smooth hound from our coastline. Haven't caught one for years. And with that, the squid rod went over. I had another one. I had nine on the nine smooth hounds to about 12 pounds on the down tide. And it was so good. I had some bait left over. I thought, well, I'll fish the tide up again. And the biggest fish I had was 16 pounds. Oh, that's an absolute monster. I know. I mean, 10 pounds in the 70s they were talking about you know trophy fish with, with 10 11 pound yeah but they last they stayed there um that this was the end of may and i was still catching them i forget when the next lockdown was but i think i, I was still catching them in july um to, to the same sort of weight anything between eight pounds and 15 16 pounds um I've never done it before and hopefully they'll come back back again this year we'll just have to see it's now, now that is fabulous sport, isn't it? And and yet, I I, I do seem to get a real air of pessimism mm. about sea angling in general. Is it just you're not able to catch enough fish that people like to eat, i.e., cod? Um, I, I hear that bass are verging on the cod unicorn status. Yet, mm. I, I, I see people catching them on lures off Brighton Beach and, oh, and lures off some other beach and fly oh. fishing here and there. I'm not sure about that. Uh, to me, the last few years with the bass, there's been more bass around and bigger bass than there ever has. Um, I've had some tremendous catches of bass from the beaches, some great catches of bass from the piers. 
Um, and very rarely do I go a set bass fishing session. I mean, I've been catching them just from where I live in Clapton. I've only got to walk, I don't know, 700 yards and I'm on the beach um, fishing on the rocks. And I've had quite a few on lures this year, just fishing lures That's into the water. It doesn't matter if it's murky, murky water or clear water. There's bass there. There's some good bass there as well. That's brilliant. Are you catching them on surface lures? No, I haven't used surface lures. I'm not. I, I don't. Li- I don't know. There's something about surface lures that I don't like to see the lure. I, I like that mystery of Damn. the lure being under the water and feeling the rock. <laughs> and all of a sudden, you know, when, it, when you've cast out and you're reeling in, like if you're fishing for pike and you're lure fishing, oh, and then all of a sudden that rod locks up. Yeah. Um, and that's the feeling I like. I think, oh, great, that's brilliant. But um, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm not allowed on the rocks anymore, Keith. Did you hear the story? No. Oh. No, I didn't know. I'm about to though, I forget the feeling. I think you are. Um, last summer, and I don't very often do this, but we've got these rocky V-shaped breakwaters that they, they, they've built, um, just sea defence. Um, and they're these sort of Norwegian granite rocks, great big things, and they go out about 50, 60 yards on a V-shape. And you can walk, you can sort of scramble to the end of them, but you've got to be careful because they're covered in seaweed and things. Anyway, this one particular Sunday, I said to Angela, I said, oh, I'm going to go down on the rocks for half an hour, do the lure fishing. She said, all right, okay, that's fine. I said, I'll be back in it in an hour or so. So I walked down there. Luckily, I had walked down there. Um, anyway, I'd, I'd started fishing at the, the shore end of the rocks, just sitting on a rock, and wasn't getting many bites or anything. So I'd inched my way along to the next rock, but very slowly, and in the end, I was right at the very end of the rocks. And I thought, crocs, I've never been on the right end of these before. It's a long way out. The tide was going down, so there wasn't a problem. Um, I had a couple of bass. Um, and then I thought to myself, crocs, it's nearly tea time. I've got to get home. Otherwise, Angie's going to start worrying. So instead of inching my way back, I thought, well, I'm brave. All I had was a spinning rod in one hand and a little, little rucksack over my shoulder with a few lures in. Nothing much. Um, pair of shorts on and just a pair of trainers. So I started hopping back over the rocks. Well, I got half, I, yeah, I got halfway across, um, and I didn't slip, but I went from one rock with my right foot to get the next rock, but my momentum wasn't quite there, and I didn't quite make the rock, and I went backwards. And the next thing I remember was I was under the water with rod in hand, um, I'd managed to throw the bag somehow onto the rocks as I was falling. But it happened so quickly, I can't really remember. You know, it's like a car accident or something. You can't really remember what happened. Um, But all I remember was, crikey, I'm under the water and I'm swimming. I'm I'm right under the water completely, just holding onto the rod. But I managed to come up to the surface again. I thought, crikey, what the hell have I done there? I didn't know what I'd done. Going back onto the rocks with rod and managed to break two or three rings on the rod. Um, and stood up, and I thought, oh, Christ, well, at least I'm all right. And I looked down, and I'd got blood all over my knee, coming from the back of my head, my elbow, and I sat on the rocks, and I thought, crockies, that was a lucky one. And I'd, looking down now from where I was, looking down from the, the rocks at the top, I'd just missed this big rock on my head, you know, and I thought, flipping heck. So anyway, I sat on the rock. I sat on the rocks there, got myself together, um, and then, of course, you start to shake a bit, and, you know, things set in. I thought, I've got to get home. So I, w- I walked home very, very gingerly, came in the house, and Ange looked at me. And she said, what on earth have you done? And I was covered in blood from head to foot. Um, tidied myself up, you know, it's all superficial stuff. 
Um, it wasn't. I, I had a few bruises on my ribs and things as well. Um, and of course, I've been banned from the rocks now, and I don't really want to go on them anymore. <laughs> no, I don't. No, so I'm, I'm lucky I'm here, to be quite honest. But, you know, it's just one of those things you think it's never going to happen to you. I've reached this fine old age. I've seen other people. I think, you stupid people, what are you doing out there? But it's never going to happen to me. And, of course, it did. You know, I could have been one of those figures. But, um, yeah, so anyway, that's just a, just a, little, a little story there for you, Keith. I, I did have one day with the great Ed Schliffker, um, the rock opera oh, from Padstone. Yeah. Oh, I, he is, he's like a mountain goat, mate. It's he, he's else, unbelievable. Yeah. It's confidence and, and as you say, getting the momentum right and, and using the momentum to your advantage. But I watched him. We fished off some, some rocky marks down there for Pollock. Mm. And my goodness, does, I mean, I, I'm, I'm the least antelope-like person you will ever meet. I'm not even like a limpet. I, I'm just, you know, really careful because I don't fancy breaking anything and, and winding up yeah. in hospital. But you watch him and, and it, it's just having the absolute confidence of where to step. And, and he, he is quite remarkable. So maybe maybe Padstow's in order to go down there for a bit of a lesson, a bit of Rick Stein fish and chips while oh, you're down yeah. there, pop into Rick I don't, need, I don't want any lessons in rock hopping anymore. That's my lot now. I just stick to the. In actual fact, I've been fishing beside these rocky breakwaters now, and I've worked it out. Yeah. That I need to get my lures out further, so I'm just adding a little bit of weight to the to the end of them, and not standing on the rocks, but casting to the same areas from the beach that I was sitting on the rocks. Yeah. So it's it make no difference, and, and, and I'm safe. So far better, exactly. Yeah. 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 That, that, that's my, my um, lure fishing experience for bass does extend to some surface fishing. And whilst you say it's great fun when it locks up and you don't know what it is, mm. when you when you, your your lure is popping back across the surface, walk the dog style, and mm. you can see and hear the <coughs> of the mouth behind the lure. Yeah, and and yeah. you want to stop it, but you know if you stop it, the fish is not going to chase you. You have to keep pulling it, keep pulling it, keep pulling it. And, you know, sometimes you get two or three of them behind the lure all chasing it at once that's phenomenal watching that but when, when you see people like you know the master like henry gilby doing it and and, and yeah. watch him it is it's definitely an art form and and rass as well of course i mean your your rats are probably a bit too small for lure fishing down there but, but some of the rats that are coming from those those rocks and rock marks in the southwest is 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 incredible now, you mentioned john you started fishing with a winfield outfit when you were mm. four and three quarters there's, there's not there's no Winfield outfits available now. So if, if somebody's got a young person or is a young person or even isn't necessarily a young person and wanted to start fish, sea fishing, they live close to the coast, what would your advice be now? Well, there's plenty of kits out there. I mean, all you've got to do is just go online um, and just, just type in fish, fishing kits for, for youngsters. Um, I mean, you, you can you can pick up a, a reel, a rod. A lot of the tackle shops do them. The one in the Crackton tackle shops here, you can get a rod and a reel for – 45 quid and it's it's ample you know for some yeah. summer fishing for your for your bass and things like that so and, and any kids i mean that's ideal for them isn't it really something like that um, and the, the chances are they'll get a few bites as well what, what about the 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 help available are um sea anglers um a, a sociable lot if somebody says here mr you know not yeah. can i have a handful of maggots please or have you got any ragworms but if 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 you saw someone, I mean, you're, you're a bit different, but if, if you or one of your peers saw someone that was struggling a bit with their kit, are, are sea anglers like to go up and say, yeah. why don't you try this, mate? Or, you know. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure, for sure. 
I haven't seen any that wouldn't, to be quite honest. We see we see them on the pier, the, the, you know, the kids with the mums and that. They want to come up for the day and have, have a, you know, a, a fish. And I might just say, well, do you, do you just try over here. Um, do you want to try yeah. this? Do you, want to, do you want to use one of my ragworm? Put one of these on. Just see what, you know. And they, the, once they've started catching fish, that's it. Normally they hook for life, aren't they? You know, and this exactly. is what we want. We need we need more children in the sport, more more juniors coming up. Because there's there's very few. I don't know about the the course angling side of the mat, the course match side of it, but there's very few um, juniors children um, sea fishing, um, and we notice that with the lo- our local clubs. You know, at one time years ago, you'd have I don't know maybe f- fifteen junior anglers. There isn't any. There isn't any coming through at all, which is a sad state of affairs, really. Um, whether it's I don't know the Xboxes, the computers, and it's a diff- different generation completely now, isn't it? So, um, yeah. what I've noticed—well, not this year, but this this period of, of the pandemic—there uh, are certainly more youngsters going course fishing than there were in previous years. I mean, there are more beginners' kits being caught. There's, I don't know, hundred thousand more rod licenses or something being sold this year yeah. Than, yeah. than than in recent times. So people are going back towards the, the great outdoors. Whether that'll be a permanent thing when. You know they're they're back at work and and Saturday and Sunday will be spent queuing up outside you know the Bentall Centre or the Arndale or Westfield or one of those places yeah. again. I have no idea, but at the moment people are looking for things to do. I mean, I, I was out at, at eight thirty this morning attending to my wife's ponies, and there were twenty cars in the car park and people walking about their dogs. You know, and, and the yeah. weather was it was minus minus two and horizontal sleet. So yeah. yeah, so so maybe course fishing I think is seeing a bit of an uptick, and 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 hopefully. Sea fishing will too, although it is it isn't quite as easy to sit down beside a pool that's where you've got three foot of water in front of you and you can just drop it in the edge. Shore fishing does require a little bit more well, that's, that's um, effort thing. than that. That's the thing, isn't it? And uh, all our local um, freshwater club waters, you can't you can't buy a, a season ticket, a yearly ticket for love and money. They've, they've all gone the whole lot. You know? There's nowhere. There's a few day ticket waters. Um, obviously, they're not open at the moment. Um, but all the club waters, you can't get a ticket for them. They've all been sold, no. the whole lot. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing, isn't amazing. it? Yeah. It is amazing. You know, this, 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 I think the pandemic is going to grow a couple of sports, and certainly angling is right up there at the, at the height of it. It's just a case of, of retaining them for the future because, like, I was born – I was born in North London, so I was born a fair way from the sea. Mm. But between March and June, I had to go fishing. There was a closed season, so I went sea fishing. I went to Deal, I went to South End, Walton on Nays, famously. You know, yeah. I, I went to very. I'd, I'd read in the papers about cod being caught and and how Tony Libby had caught a couple and how he sold yellowtail ragworm, uh, yellowtail lugworm, and I'd be knocking on Tony Libby's yeah, door at on, seven mate. o'clock. Coming, yeah, have you got any yellowtails old? No, we haven't got any this week. I've got these blow lug, and oh, yeah. oh, there was okay. never any yellowtails for us visitors. And, yeah. and I remember. The shop is still there, but in in the um, the small ads in Angling Times, frames of Hendon by mm. Sea Bay in London, and I remember their phone number. I mean, it, it, it's oh two oh eight now, I guess, but two oh two oh two six four was the number. Is that my phone ringing? I think it might be. Key. I'll have to leave. I'll have to leave that alone. That can continue to ring until voicemail takes it. Yeah, I don't know why that should be ringing. Um, the other thing, John, I'm going to ask: How about a tip? Now this, right. this doesn't have to be something that that's that's current, but a tip for something that will stand the shore angler in good stead during the summertime. What to catch fish? Yeah, or yeah. Well, well, not in summertime. When, when we were allowed back on the bank, a tip for a, a budding shore angler. 
Well, a tip from a budding shore angler, for a budding shore angler, is to pick your tides. So make sure, I mean, you're going to have to find out. You'll have to ask people what is the best tide. I mean, don't just come down and fish, but just find find your best tide. Try, come, to, and come down and fish that tide. Always fish into the tide as much as you possibly can. It always gets more bites. And try and, find, try and get the best bait. So, so you mean casting towards the flow rather than with the flow? Casting towards the flow will pick up more mm-hmm. fish than casting down tide. And also casting down tide, you're going to be in, in trouble because it will drift right round over breakwaters and, and other bits and pieces. Um, so the, the idea would be pick a tide, find out what the best tide is for the venue that you're fishing, get the correct bait. I mean, a lot of anglers just say, oh, I'll just put an old squid, a bit of old manky herring on and cast out. Oh, we didn't catch anything today. Um, yeah. get, get some half decent bait, some nice ragworm or some lugworm. Um, and just ask before you go. Just find the venue that you're going to fish and find the local tackle shop, ring them up and get the information from them because you can't beat that. Um, that's yeah. basically it, Keith, really. And, and, and is that house or one like it uh, that sells bait from his back shed still available, like Tony Libby, Tony's bait bar, you yeah. know, it, which was a shed in his back garden. No. Do they still exist? No, I mean this this guy. This his name tax, was tax man. Caught up with him. <laughs> his name. I'm, I'm going back to the sixties. This guy's name was Puffer yeah. Puffer Gray. His name was. So yeah. if you can imagine him, yeah. he answered the door in an old Aaron jump um, polar neck jumper, grey hair, dishevelled, look looked like an old sea dog. Um, Oh, you, you could you could write a book about him um, with yeah. all this all this lovely lugworm he had. Uh, now, obviously, he's not there. I mean, he must have died. Probably died in the seventies. I would have thought he was an old boy then in the sixties. But um, it's those sort of characters, you know. You, they they helped you. They helped me on my way. I went back again after that first time. I wasn't frightened the second time I went round. I think I went round without my sister the second time for bait. And then we got friendly, and he said, oh, where, where are you fishing? What are you doing? Where are you going? Oh, no, you want to be going here. Have you tried down here by this groin? Try down there. And um, we became great friends in the end, but um, I, he's obviously long gone now, I would have thought. You don't, so you don't see the signs anymore? No. Stop here and buy your fish. But you do, I, I notice that when I'm driving down to Florida Keys, almost everywhere sells bait. Really? So, yeah, it's... Yeah, almost everywhere sells bait. And that, that's something that's missing, you know, the, 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 finding an available source of bait when you just turn up on spec for a day's fishing is uh, is a great thing to be able to do. But there's still a few tackle shops around, I suspect, and, and they've usually yeah. got yeah, well, something can, or the can, other. You can, yeah, just, just order you can it, can't you? Up. You just order it on, yeah. ring them up and say, look, have you got any ragworm? I'm coming down. What's the, t- what's the tide? Yeah. What's the best tide? Have you got a venue? Where? What's the best venue to go to? They're, they're, they're pretty good, the tackle shops, they'll tell you. So we'll say contact your local tackle shop or the local tackle shop local to where you're going. Yeah, you're going. Another tip. Exactly. Fantastic. Exactly. Try try and do do some try and find out before you you go, and it's going to help you. It's going to help you catch fish, isn't it? It's got to. So so is can I say then having had the thornback every month of the year? Yeah. Uh, is the quest now conger eel based, or yep. are you going oh, to uh, find no. something else? Hundred percent conger eel. Hundred this this summer I shall be when we're out of lockdown. I mean it's still early in the year now. We shan't be going conger eeling yet. But come sort of end of March, April time, all through the summer, you'll you'll see me somewhere with a great big fish bait on the east coast. Well, Walton Pier, um, fishing for conger eels until I catch one. But um, well, perhaps funny enough, just 
just one more little story. Last, oh, yeah. it was the end of last summer, um, and I was just walking up Walton Pier, and there was a young lad. He was 12 years old with his granddad, and his rod was bent double. Um, and I didn't see this. I just missed it. But there was another angler up there. He said, and the other angler came down to me, he said, and he knew me. He said, John, he said, that young lad, that 12-year-old lad, he's just caught a conger eel. I said, really? He said, yes, on that spinning rod with a brass boom paternoster or something. I said, you're joking. So I went to talk to him, and granddad said to me, his granddad said to me, he said, um, he said, yeah, he said, we've got some photographs. I thought, crikey, somebody's actually taken a photograph because it's nice to see, you know, because eels and eel, it could have been a big just common silver eel. Yeah. Anyway, he showed me this picture. It was a 10-pound conger eel he caught on this, <sighs> this, this spinning rod. It was only about five or six foot long, and he caught it over the side with a tiny hook. I thought, crikey, how did you manage that, young man? But he did, and good luck to him. And a brass patnos to no less. Well, it was something I wouldn't say. It was definitely something a bit old, and I, I, I won't say too work. much because because he, I think his granddad will probably listen to this broadcast afterwards. So he, <laughs> well, he did. So there's, there's he did, two he tips did, for you. Then, yeah, you, you want congering, get a bit of ironwork on the end, and a brick. Don't forget the house brick. That's, that's you know take, it was compulsory in Devon. Well, I'll try it, Keith. I'll, I'll try it. Anything to get that conger eel, and then I'll try and some other species after that. So, something that we don't normally catch. That's what I like to catch. Something that's not caught very often. Mm, I don't know what there are on the East Coast because there's not much in the way of reefs or anything to go out, out there. No, I think the nearest we'd have to go is the, um, Chesil Beach. There's a wreck, isn't there, down at Abbotsbury? Yeah, there is. But you yeah. have to cast a long way. I remember Neil McKello, he did, um, there was a feature or something. I remember reading it. And they had to walk up to this wreck. You can't see the wreck, obviously, um, mm-hmm. because it's underwater, but they know where it is. Um, and they were catching double shots of trigger fish there. But I've never seen a trigger fish from, from this coast. I've seen everything else. We've, we're getting bream now. We're getting sea, the odd sea bream from the, from the local So have you worked out what the, mystery, what the unusual species will be you'll be going for? The unusual species? I've never caught a turbot or a brill. Um, mm. And they are caught from round here, but only very occasionally. But I've got one of these big, you know, these big wooden shrimping nets that you push along on the yes. beach. Yeah, like the kids used to. Well, I've had one made, which is a real, a real big one, and for the brown shrimp and the prawns and that, and I can use them for bait. So in the summer, you'll see me down there, and I was down there last summer actually, and talk about. Um, I was. It was just about low tide, and I was down there up to my knees in water in the middle of the summer and there's flats and things and houses behind and they're obviously looking over and watching me. And the next thing I see these blue lights flashing coming along the beach. Oh, what the hell was that? It was the Coast Guards. Someone had phoned them up and said I was trying to drown myself. I thought, <laughs> well, what on earth? What on earth is going on in this, in this world nowadays when you can't take your shrimping net and walk along the, 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 the shore edge up to your knees catching a few prawns. I said, no, I'm fine. Thank you very much. I'm fine. But anyway, I'm digressing there. Um, with these brown shrimps and prawns, I always get small turbot and brill, only baby ones, in the net. Yeah. But we never get the big ones. So are they moving in from the, these baby ones? Do they do they travel in what, four or five miles from the deeper water? Or, or are those bigger fish coming in to breed? Yeah, you don't know, do you? I mean, oh. I, know, I know that... This- the, the sort of ground they look for on the south coast when they catch them, obviously it's, it's, it's from 
um, from a boat, but they look for undulations, for waves in the sand and fish down tide of the undulation. So as the tide rushes in, it, it pushes the sand over. But, of course, it, there's not so much sand on, on a lot of the East Coast, is it? You probably know Stevie Souter because he catches them up on the oh, – no, he catches them on the east coast of Scotland, doesn't he? I think they get yeah. them up there. There might be a bit of a turbot farm where they're released up there. But, uh, yeah, he catches them off the beach. There's your man. I'll have him on here soon as well. Yeah, you have him. have him on there. Yeah. Yeah, I will. Yeah. yeah. All right, John Popper. Well, it's been fantastic talking to you, mate. And, and we could go on, I dare Thank say, you. for another hour. But I'll no, but I I down. Yeah, all right. <laughs> All right, Keith. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, we'll, we'll chat again soon. And, and keep in All touch, right, mate. mate. And if you do get you, you do get something um, that that you, you want to promote to the world, then yeah. I'll certainly be here ready to listen and and give you give you the, um, the, the the portal into the rest of that world. Good talking to you, mate. Stay safe. Stay away from that blooming Norwegian granite and listen to what Ange tells you. I will. Thank you, Keith. I'll see you soon, mate. Cheers, John. Yeah, yeah, cheers, bye. mate. Bye now. Thanks so much to John Popplewell for sharing his reminiscences as a lifelong shore angler. Having heard his Canary Islands tale, I'm surprised I was able to persuade him to board my strange boat. And thank you for listening. We're all shipmates together. Please don't forget to rate, like, follow and subscribe to the podcast and join me again for our next cruise on the strange boat. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi there, I'm Kendra Adachi, and I host the Lazy Genius Podcast, a show that helps you be a genius about the things that matter and lazy about the things that don't. But here's the kicker. You get to decide what matters, not me. I'm not here to tell you what to do. I'm here to give you a new way to see. Episodes are around 20 minutes and are full of practical, helpful information, as well as a lot of permission slips to do what makes sense for you. New episodes drop every Monday and cover a broad range of topics from laundry and getting dinner on the table to finding work-life balance and organizing your inbox. So I invite you to give the Lazy Genius Podcast a listen. Together, let's stop doing it all for the sake of doing what matters. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. Sports Social Podcast Network. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.